This is a production of KMMedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Unique and uh, dynamic individual. She's a podcaster. She's an author. She's a former college professor. And she specializes in talking about the medieval times. No, not the restaurant. Uh, the actual medieval times of what happened in, the, in, in years past. Uh, she is really an expert in it. And she's got a podcast, which is called The Medieval Podcast. It has been downloaded well over a million times. So she is very astute at what she does. And we're going to talk all about that because I think there's a lot of misnomers about that based upon the movies that we've seen and some of it. And it seems like it was uh, really uh, um, maybe a worse time than we think it was. I don't know. Eric, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Kevin. I'm doing fine. I've heard a rumor that the four-letter word is coming on Wednesday. Is that true? The four-letter word? Yeah, it's snow. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's there's many four letter words, so I'm glad you clarified. Yeah, there are, but that was uh, a particularly nasty one. I, from what I'm seeing, it looks like there's a twenty percent chance of snow. So, um, if I was a betting man, I would say no snow probably. Uh, but you never know; things happen. Well, and I, I hope not. So, you know, even now I did read that the high for the day was 40. So even if we get snow in the morning, it will just go away in the afternoon. Exactly. Very good. So what do you know about the medieval times, sir? Have you Did, did you do any studying as a kid and did study history about that? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, what the school system provided is not always <laughs> as in-depth as uh, would have been nice to, you know, to know. But, uh, you know, movies and TV and, yes, podcasts have uh, given me, I think, a fairly decent education. But it's such a huge topic that there's no doubt that you could never learn everything about it. So uh, I'm looking forward to listening in as you talk to your guest today. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. And if I were you, Kevin, I wouldn't bring up Braveheart because I know that's one of your favorite <laughs> movies, but it is wildly inaccurate. <laughs> so, well, you know, that's one of the, one of the things that we're going to ask her is how wildly inaccurate it is, oh, especially the, very, what they call the prima nocta. Uh, so, which you've heard what they use that in the movie for. <laughs> right. I'll let you explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But before we go there, tell everybody what we're doing so that and how many ways that they can touch us and reach us now. <laughs> and not in the prima nocta way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, no, not, but they not, can tune in to the show on 1150 AM KKNW and 98.9 HD Channel 3. If you've got an HD radio, you can uh, also listen online at 1150kknw.com or with our app. And you can watch and listen to the show on Facebook at Positive Talk Radio's page or 1150KKNW's page or uh, our YouTube channel or Positive Talk Radio's YouTube channel or our Twitter feed, 
Um, and yeah, I, I, think, I think that's all of them, thankfully, because we would spend the whole time <laughs> listing all these things and we, we don't want to do that. But uh, yeah, really no excuse for missing the show these days. There's so many places you can check it out. So you can sit in your castle along with your fiefs and your and your and your damsels in distress and and sit and watch it or listen to it in any number of ways. So. I got to imagine it would have been a real challenge uh, to place the router just right in one of those medieval castles to get Wi-Fi throughout the <laughs> throughout the castle. You know, it, it's working in the throne room, but you go up to, you know, the murder hole or whatever <laughs> and you can't get the wi-fi signal you know the one thing that i'm going to ask that i've never seen in any castle that there's been in the movies and stuff is where do they go to the bathroom i've always wondered that outside <laughs> <laughs> i mean we call it the throne room now but it wasn't always right. a throne room. different throne <laughs> so given that uh, let's introduce uh, danielle um she is um a dynamic individual and thank you for being here danielle and and uh, you can go to her website which is called daniellesabisky.com and that's c-y-b-u-l-s-k-i-e.com and you can find out all about her and the work that she does and uh how excited she is to talk about the medieval times and and first of all welcome to the show danielle how are you thank you it's good to be here and i hear you have a lot of questions for me i was waiting for you to ask me the questions instead of each other i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> well well I, we will follow up with you the first the first question i have for you is when we talk about medieval times what time period are we talking about that's a really good question. It is up for debate. And when we're talking about the Middle Ages, we tend to be talking about a time that was defined in Europe as the Middle Ages. So it's different. Things are evolving at different rates around the world. But when we're talking about Europe, which is what I specialize in, we're talking from around 500 to around 1500. So if those dates don't mean anything to you, we're talking about what is called the quote unquote fall of the Roman Empire to around the time of the Tudors. So everything between there, that is what I study. And as Eric mentioned, it is a big time. It is a big space. So there is a lot to learn. There is, there is indeed, because we think of the Middle Ages as being a dark time. Was it as dark as we, you know, some people call it the Dark Ages, and, and there was no, uh, a lot of advancement as far as scientific knowledge and that kind of stuff. Is any of that true? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that's no. the short answer. <laughs> the short no. answer is no. Actually, it was not a super dark time in relation to any other time, right? We always have, especially if you're talking about a thousand year period, there are ups and there are downs. But history is not a linear progression that leads to us being amazing. There's ups, there's downs. The Dark Ages idea is kind of propaganda in order to make us look better. And it's kind of referring to the fact that there are not a lot of sources, right? Not a lot of sources have survived because this is a really long time ago. And when it comes to science, actually, there was a huge amount of innovation going on during this thousand year period, but it makes us look better and it makes the people who came afterwards in the early modern period, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, I'm using a lot of air quotes here, it makes <laughs> them look better to say that nothing happened during this time. And people were talking about this as a middle age, as a dark age, 
right afterwards. So people around 1500 and afterwards were talking about this being kind of a, a lame time that happened after the ancients and before us. And this is in a way, it's propaganda to make us look better. And it's also, interestingly, part of a propaganda project that was done by Protestants, because if you'll remember around the Tudor period is around the time when Protestantism became a thing. And the Protestants, in order to make themselves look really good, really looked down on the Catholics. So this anti-Catholic propaganda was saying that the church was bad, the church was backwards. They're talking about the Middle Ages during a time when everybody was Catholic as being a bad thing in order to make themselves look good. So this is a project that's been in, in motion for hundreds of years trying to make this time look bad. And we do buy into it. We see it in the movies, as you say, a lot. We do indeed. So I got to ask you that the question that I asked Eric that he didn't have the answer to, because um, every movie I've ever seen in the castles, uh, where do they go to the bathroom? That is a good question. And I have an answer for you. And the answer oh. is a place called <laughs> a place called the garderobe, which is basically an outhouse, which is built into the castle wall. So if you're in a castle, you're not leaving it to go to the washroom. You're using a hole that will either lead down into the moat, which is good in that it gets washed away by rivers or rain, or it will lead into a cesspit, which might just kind of hang out there and eventually be um, absorbed, or it might be actually drained by somebody who had that job called the gong farmer. So you do have these places called garderobes, which are basically indoor outhouses. There is a hole that you use and it drains outward or into a cesspit. So people did go to the bathroom inside the castle walls. So I got to ask you, if you were underneath the uh, hole in the, could you see people if they happen to be <laughs> sitting there doing their business i mean you'd have to be right underneath but why would you be right underneath especially <laughs> if it means you're standing in the moat right but Big this mess. was actually a security issue in some ways because it is a hole that goes outside of the walls and there was one example through in which somebody climbed up through the hole and uh locked unlock to the gate basically and let people inside the castle so yeah i suppose if you're right underneath you could see what's going on but why would you want to is the question <laughs> <laughs> and i suppose that when when that guy did that everybody was kind of thinking oh nobody's gonna crawl up into that hole i mean the that guy drew the short straw that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> that that's very interesting i had no no earthly idea but you know it makes sense because if the castle's under siege it's not like you want to go open the gate so you can go wee wee yeah. um or hang off the side of the walls i mean yeah it's a very interesting practical question and I, it's one that i get a lot actually so you're not the first person who's wondered about this but if you visit europe you can actually find these guard robes in castles See, that's why I think there are so many people there here today. And the number one reason why we have so many people on the planet is called indoor plumbing. <laughs> indoor plumbing was a thing, was a thing. The Romans were super into it. And you had to be kind of rich for it to be something that you had in your castle. But there were some kings that did have indoor plumbing. Interesting. So <laughs> have you written any books about that or any any papers on that? I know you've done like 200 papers and you've got a bunch of books out there and we're going to go over that in a little bit. But uh, in your studies, is that so was that something that you just came up with or just queried and and figured it out? 
Of course, because I'm really interested in the everyday, right? I want to know what people are thinking from moment to moment. What are they doing? What are they touching throughout the course of a day? And of course, people have to go to the bathroom. So that actually is in my book, which is called Life in Medieval Europe, Facts and Fiction, which people can find Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, Indigo. We perceive, I don't know who we are, but some of us <laughs> perceive that in the um, in the in the medieval times when it was dark, everything was dirty and people were dirty and nobody took a bath and people got sick because of it. Is it, is it, was that true? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I love these blowing, questions. <laughs> you're blowing up my entire schooling. <laughs> I know. And I don't blame teachers for this because this is something that, again, it's been propaganda that's been passed on for hundreds of years, right? People didn't bathe as often as we do. And the reason for that is that it's very difficult. And if you see that people who are impoverished right now, they don't have a place to go to, to have a shower, they keep clean as best they can. And this is the truth, the same thing that happened in the Middle Ages, right? To have a bath means you have to get enough firewood to heat the water. You have to get the water from somewhere. You have to put it somewhere. You can't just go and have a bath in a stream when snow is coming, right? You can't do that. You'll get yourself sick. So people did bathe. They did have bathhouses. The Romans built bathhouses and that didn't go anywhere. They kept using them or you had to have a bath at home. And we know that people were into baths not only because they talk about it in their literature and they say that it's good for health, but also because bathhouses were a place where people got naked together. And in that place, there could sometimes be sinning happening. So we have some records of people who are getting into trouble in the bathhouse. So we have legal records that talk about a bathhouse and how people are going there to bathe and also to have dinner and also to avail themselves of some services, which I will leave to people's imaginations. Uh, so you're, you're, you're telling me that when people get naked together that some things are liable to happen that probably uh, wouldn't happen otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> things that are easier to accomplish if you are naked together. Yes, yeah, that is what I'm saying. But also because in places like England, people were worried about the sinning that was happening in bathhouses. So in some places, in London, for example, they passed a law in the early 1400s saying we need to close the bathhouses because they are dens of iniquity. And we have people protesting and saying, can we still have our bathtubs at home? Because uh, we still want to have a bath. So we know that people did have baths. They also used soap. We have recipes for soap from the Middle Ages as well. So it is, it is all just this idea that we have that things were dirty because it makes us look good. It makes us look extra clean, right? It, it, it does indeed. <laughs> By the way, here's a fun fact for everybody. Have you okay. ever heard the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? Of course. And that's because in the 30s, you would take, and my mother explained this to me, uh, because she was born in 1928 or something, and uh, they would fill a bathtub and they'd go in the kitchen. They bring the bathtub in, goes in the kitchen, they put hot water in it. And according to the rank in the family, dad went first, mom went second, the kids went third and fourth and fifth, and the last one to go was the baby. And by the time the baby got into the bath, the bath water was very dirty. And so you couldn't really see uh, the, the entirety of the bath. And so don't throw the baby out with the bath water. That is a true thing, I think. But I'm <laughs> learning a lot of things that I thought were true aren't. Well, I mean, your mom would know how much, how difficult it is to heat that water, right? For every, everyone gets to use the bath at the same time because it's very difficult to do that in a time before everyone had a hot water tank. So yeah, people did bathe, but it was more difficult for sure.
And people, families got to know each other quite intimately back then, I would imagine. Of course, yeah. because, you know, you had to live in a smaller space, fewer walls. So, yeah, people did get to know each other quite well. Yes. And I, okay, so we're into the myths because you've written a book about it. You've written several. Um, mm. And we're into the myths of the Middle Ages. One of them is that we were very brutal to each other. Mm. Um, is that true? We were more brutal to each other than we are nowadays. But at the same time, you have to weigh it against other factors, right? So overall, the society was more violent. The humor was more violent. This is just something that we know. There was not an organized police force the way we have it today, right? So people were were having to find ways to investigate crime it, it was all more difficult. So it was more violent on the day-to-day. -day. But at the same time, you didn't have semi-automatic weapons, right? So if you were going to conduct violence upon someone, it would be one person at a time. So if you weigh it in the balance, it's hard to say who is more violent because back in the day, they didn't have the same capabilities for violence that we do. So it's it's a difficult question. I would say societally, culturally, People were more violent on the day-to-day -day than they are today, but they weren't going off, like, lopping off people's limbs like you see in the movies. Oh, they weren't? No. Nope. I thought that was, that was just kind of, I thought, I thought that happened all the time. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know every time someone asks me to talk about the Middle Ages, I just make it a lot more boring for them, I think, <laughs> because it's not as dirty, it's not as violent, it's not as backwards as people think. And. But there were there were instances where, as an example, uh, what now I know I wasn't. I'm Eric told me not to talk about Braveheart, and so I'll, <laughs> I'll be very brief. But at the end of the movie, he is they do what they call draw and quarter him, which is what they did. Uh, to, to my understanding, is what they did to traitors. Is that somebody that was a traitor against the crown? Yes, yes. And I actually have done a podcast on this where I talked with, I've actually done two podcasts on this where we talked about violence, we talked about justice. And I'm going to draw a blank on the name. So just look into my podcast and you'll find it. But basically, these these punishments are supposed to be horrific. They're supposed to be ones that are memorable for everybody. And they're supposed to be extremely symbolic, right? So when you do see that execution that is probably the most accurate thing in that entire movie you do see disemboweling this is meant to show that they are getting rid of the place in the body where these ideas of treason may have been generated where they thought this was in the belly basically they are separating his body to send a message to different parts of the kingdom to show that we are not going to do this again we're not going to rise up against edward again hanged as a thief because uh, thieves were hanged and then beheaded to remove the head from the body as this person was trying to remove the head from the English crown. So this is meant to be the worst punishment possible for the worst crime possible. And that is why we're still talking about this. Executions on the regular, not that they happened as regularly as we think, but those were usually hangings. And that was not the same as drawing and quartering. Right. So yeah. this was meant to be horrific and it accomplished that. We're still talking about it today. It was meant to set an example. You forgot one important aspect of it that I think is is difficult <laughs> for all men to absorb. And yes, the is, castration as well. <laughs> while he's hanging there alive. And, and, oh, Lord. Uh, right. Yes. 
but but I understand that they had a point to make because um, you can't have a bunch of people wandering around the countryside having traitorous thoughts and doing and doing things because that wasn't what society wanted. They wanted uh, they wanted law and order and to take care of. It. But you mentioned an interesting thing. If they didn't have police, because we think in terms of there are police, if, if there are no police, how did they enforce any laws? How did they keep civil obedience and civil order together? Oh, it's difficult. I'll just put it that way. If somebody had discovered a corpse or a crime or something, they would raise what's called the hue and cry. We still use this term often when we talk about clamor, right? Hue and cry. That was that they would say, hey, we need help. Everybody would drop what they were doing and they would go pursue the suspect. We did. Ha they did have a justice system back in the day as well, but they didn't have like a regular police force. They didn't have standing armies either. You would have people who were knights. They would be working for lords. They would be called up to fight when it was necessary they wouldn't just be hanging around being soldiers all the time they were usually lords so they were taking care of their property so you might have people who are also knights or squires on your land and then you would say hey i need help with this and they would come and help you or you would have people who are on rotation on a night's watch in a city so you would be called up to be part of the night's watch but it wasn't a, a paid police force like we have today. And it was very difficult to solve crimes. They did try. They did have things like coroner's reports. They did have things like autopsy occasionally, but always a forensic examination of a crime scene. Uh, it's hard to believe, but they did. They looked for clues and tried to solve crimes. But the long and the short of it is without things like fingerprints, it's very hard to catch people. And without things like cell phones or cars, if somebody escapes, they're gone. So it was very difficult to prosecute crimes. But if you had the community involved and you say, find the stranger or find this person that I saw committing this crime, then it was easier to round them up, right? These were small communities. You know, that's something that we don't get a lot of is to understand the the community and how it all how it all worked, because these are very tight knit communities because they have to depend upon each other for their very uh, lives and their and the security of their of their village, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to remember, especially when we think about things like justice, right? Because we think that perhaps someone will go and like get their hand cut off or they will get like executed at the drop of a hat. These are people who are community members and it's very hard to judge someone you know right? So most of the time, instead of executions, people would be banished or they would be fined because it's very hard to say this person that I've known since forever is so bad that we need to kill him. Like these are difficult things to, these are difficult judgments to pass. So I think that remembering the community, the fact that everybody knew each other is really important when we look back, especially when we're looking at justice. Now, if you are banished, isn't mm -hmm. that kind of like a death sentence because you now are out there in the wild by yourself and you don't have the protection of other people? Is, is that really, did that happen a lot? It could be bad. It could be bad because there were groups of outlaws, right, that might be living in the forest and you'd have to pass them, right? You'd have to pass these thieves. That could be difficult. But, I mean, it depends. Do you have skills? You could go to the next town over and if they haven't heard of you, maybe you can integrate yourself into the community. It wasn't a death sentence in that they weren't living in Antarctica, right? <laughs> but right. but uh, it was difficult for a stranger to integrate into a new community because if they were banished from their last one, people would be looking at them sideways going, like, why are you here and what have you done? Were there tr 
was tribalism I imagine tribalism was big back then from the, the McDonald clan or the, or the McDougal clan or the, you know, you know what I mean? The different clans, were they, were they difficult? Did they not get along well? Or was it just kind of, you know, like, I don't know. You answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question in there, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I think that it comes back to community. And I think that there is always an us and them thing. And this did, sometimes erupt into violence right if you're if something is going wrong we as humans tend to scapegoat other people and we don't want to blame it on ourselves or each other we'll blame it on somebody else so i think i think that is human nature i don't think that's something that was specific or more prevalent back in the day just if your community was particularly tight-knit perhaps that you would have more of a thing against strangers but it really depends on where you're living and what your attitudes are that's a really (laughs) And especially if we're talking about over a thousand years and an entire continent, that's a very exactly. difficult question to answer. I, I tell you, you are very gifted. You you study this a lot, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I've been studying it since 2006, 2007. So a long time. When you were 10? <laughs> that's very kind of you. Yes, when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've been now how long were you a uh, uh college professor for oh goodness on and off for many years on and off for the better part of 10 years i would say oh but, wow yeah but i was i was part of the contract system as many many professors are so i would take a contract and then work and then maybe i wouldn't for the next semester or maybe i would for the next tenure is a very uh elusive thing these days so it was more about just uh, taking a contract and teaching some some courses, but I enjoyed it. Well, you you are just phenomenal. And when we come back, because we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about um, the dark side. If there, you're telling me there wasn't one, but I mean things like witches and witchcraft and sorcery and and all of those things and how they dealt with that and some of the things that they believe today or then that people don't believe today or something like that in in any event by the way we're talking with danielle uh sabisky and uh you go to her website which is danielle sabisky sabisky that's right right sabolsky dang it sabolsky <laughs> close close you can, you can, it was close website uh, which is danielle sabolsky.com she's got books she's got a podcast She's got lots of, she's had lots of guests. She, you've had a million downloads. What's that feel like, by the way? I don't think of it day to day. When I think of it, it, it feels pretty good. Pretty unbelievable, really. And you've been doing the podcast since 19? Uh, yeah, since 2019. So this is the fourth year, which is hard to believe as well. Are you having fun with it still? Of course, because the best part, as you know, is meeting really interesting people and just having great conversations. I love it. And you are a very interesting person, and and I love this conversation that we're having. I hope everybody stays with us because we got a lot to talk about yet. And uh, I'm just thrilled that you're here, and thank you so much for doing that. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back. It's just going to be two minutes, folks. Don't worry about it. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm excited that you're listening right now, and if you like what we're doing here, you're going to love PositiveTalkRadio.net. On PositiveTalkRadio.net, 
Each show, which is recorded live, is packed with positive information, with real people discussing real issues, and positive solutions that can work for everyone. I hope that you'll join us on PositiveTalkRadio.net and listen to all 340-plus shows. I think it's worth your time. But then, that's just me. That's PositiveTalkRadio.net, your home for great progressive positive podcasts. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, my friend. I'd really like to thank you for listening to the show today. As you may know, I started Positive Talk Radio way back in 2003. We were one of the first shows on KKNW. For 11 months, I was fortunate to be part of many lives, making a positive difference with great interviews and discussions, creating new thoughts and ideas. Sadly, for financial reasons, I had to terminate the show. Well, it took 18 years, but we're back better than ever. And not only on KKNW Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but also podcasting with several inspiring channels with the same driving passion as the original. Please visit kmmedia.pro for complete information about all of these shows. In addition, if you feel called to keep positive programming on the air, you can join us by sponsoring the show and aligning yourself with our mission, which is nothing short of saving the planet and each other. Again, that's kmmedia.pro. I'll see you there. And welcome back, everybody, to Positive Talk Radio and KKNW 1150 AM. Um, I got to ask you, Danielle, because I, I my, my uh, um, feed was kind of screwed up there. Was your feeds kind of screwed up there? Oh, for a second. For a second, I couldn't hear you. But that's okay. It's fine. We're good now. We're good. This is this is a live radio, and and we are doing it from remote locations. Which, by the way, when I first started doing this, this wasn't available a long time ago. So <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? It's, it it really is that that people can do this, and and you do it so well, and you've got some really cool information that you are getting out to people, and you're you're dispelling a lot of myths around the Middle Ages and uh, the medieval times, and uh, one of which is. Were there as many witches as we've heard about? Are you going to guess this one? Guess what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm done guessing because I'm wrong every time. No, there weren't as many witches. And Thanks. yeah, and this is another thing which is really interesting. People talk about the witch craze as being something that's medieval. It's actually early modern. So if we're talking about Salem, for example, that's in the 1600s. That's leaving the Middle Ages way behind. So there weren't really witch trials uh, in the Middle Ages. And that, that hysteria about burning witches, for example, wasn't something that happened. It's the very end of the Middle Ages in the 1400s that the Malleus Maleficarum, which is the Hammer of Witches, that book that everybody talks about, was created. And that that book tells you things like, here's how you find out what a witch is what they do but before that people were um if they were accused of something that we might put under the category of witchcraft it was under heresy and even in these cases 
if you were a heretic, people would, the priest would come to you and say, listen, this thing that you're doing, it's not right. Say this many Hail Marys and you'll be good. But if you continued to spread heretical ideas or do things that people thought were heretical, like perhaps you're cursing someone or something like that, then you would be in trouble. But usually people were just taking care of it, sort of person to person, priest to a person who might be off the track, the priest trying to put them back on the track. But there wasn't a witch craze, witch hysteria until the Middle Ages, till the Middle Ages were done. So again, Salem, right? This is the 1600s, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was that was then. Now, were there dungeons and and lots of torture going on back then, or is that done with, with people that uh, were considered heretical and would not change their ways? Now, this is a tricky thing because there is a difference between torture and justice, right? So things that we we're talking about William Wallace, right? That's justice. That is a punishment. It's not the same as torture. Torture is mainly done for interrogation, right? You're trying to get a confession out of someone. And interestingly, the laws about torture were really different across Europe. For example, you could not torture someone in England to get a confession out of them because they knew that people would say anything under torture. So you weren't allowed to do that. In France, you were able to torture people to get a confession out of them, but only under certain circumstances, right? And if one person accused one person of doing something bad, you couldn't interrogate them. There had to be a lot of evidence and the final nail in the coffin was going to be the confession. And that in that case, you could actually torture people. So it's interesting when you look at, for example, the persecution of the Templars, which happened in the beginning of the 1300s, they are confessing to things in France, but not in England. And that is because Edward II in England was saying you cannot uh, you can't interrogate these or torture these Templars. And so they're not confessing. In France, when they were being tortured, they were confessing to things that they probably didn't do. Now, this being said, the torture devices which they used are not the ones that you see in torture museums. Those are mostly fakes that were created by the Victorians to make Middle Ages look bad. So the Iron Maiden, the Pair of Anguish, the Chastity Belt, none of these are real. If you want to torture a human body, it's very simple. You just deprive it of the things it needs, or you apply heat, or you apply water, or you apply something pointy. You don't need to create an elaborate torture device. And so people didn't. Most of those torture devices are not real. I like that. Something pointy. That will that pointy. certainly will cause an a, cause a, uh, effect of, of somebody. That's, well, that's for sure. Human bodies we, are fragile. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, you know what's interesting about that is there's a t there was a time in the 20 in the 20th century when they were talking about waterboarding mm -hmm. and there was a big debate about whether or not you could get somebody that somebody would actually tell the truth when you were waterboarding them or would they so they they knew back in the 1500 or or in, in the 14 and 1300s that torture wasn't an effective way of getting any information out of anybody yeah, absolutely. And so the ordeals, which is probably something that you're thinking about when you're thinking about witch trials, right? Dunking someone in water, they were not actually permitted after about 1215 because the Pope was like, listen, they don't work and we can get around them anyway, right? So if you had to carry something hot and, you know, if your burn healed cleanly, then God was with you. And if it didn't, then God was not with you. Everyone knew you could get around that depending on what medicines you were able to use, right? Everyone knew that if you could swim, you might be able to survive an ordeal. So they, in 1215, the Pope was like, that's it. 
nobody is allowed to do these ordeals anymore. So the idea that this is something that's happening all over the Middle Ages is actually not true. In fact, you weren't allowed to actually perform these ordeals after about 1215. And before that, people weren't even using them that much because they know that people will say anything and they will do anything and they will cheat the system if they can because people are people. <laughs> people are consistent over thousands of years. Well, now here's a, here's a good question that I had no earthly idea what the answer to it is. Okay. Who is more powerful, the Pope or the king of the land? This is a very good question. Good question. Thank um, you. Technically, it was the Pope, but the kings didn't really like that very much. <laughs> so no. it's, it's a complicated question because the kings have to be anointed by bishops with holy oil in order to become anointed kings, right? So you do need to have the church in order to achieve that, to be a recognized king. So you need the church, which in the end is why the Pope is the more powerful person. But people were trying to wrestle power back and forth, and they didn't really like that that much. And that didn't mean they always listened to the Pope either. They kind of did what they wanted and apologized for it later, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, it was the Pope that had the ultimate power on earth, in part because it was the power of the church that made kings the anointed kings that they were. Now, the um, correct me if I'm wrong, which you will because you have so far. <laughs> That's my uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Church of England. Now, right. did they break away from uh, the Catholic Church? Yes. Yeah. So what you're thinking of is right after the Middle Ages, you're thinking of Henry VIII, who wanted oh, okay. to marry Anne Boleyn. And so he broke with the church, which is interesting because he used to be you know, a real, uh, a real hero of the church, but he broke with the church to create the church of England in order to marry Anne Boleyn. Is this, is this the guy that had like a bunch of wives and, and yeah. some of them turned up missing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. He had six wives, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Divorced, beheaded, died. Ooh, well, I, I suppose one, three, and eight were okay, but the other ones didn't do so well. <laughs> well, no one ever makes it out of history alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's oh, that's another in the Middle Ages in that thousand year period. Have right. they determined what the average lifespan was of a human being? Um, I think that this is another tricky question where you can average it out at around 40 years, but that's a really tricky thing too, because there's child mortality involved and there were lots of people that lived into their sixties and eighties. So, you know, an average of forties gives you a huge range of ages. So it's not as if people hit 40 and dropped dead. They didn't. There were a lot of elders in the middle ages, but you started to get sick a little bit earlier because life was life was harder than it is today. Well, in my, in my particular case, I know that if I was in the Middle Ages, I would have been dead two or three times by now. <laughs> Most of us would. Most of us would. People ask me if I would like to time travel back to that time, and I absolutely would not. <laughs> Never. No. Only if I had penicillin. Right. Exactly. Antibiotics have been a miracle, and they didn't have that back then. They did have things that had such properties. So they knew that you could use something like wine to sterilize things. They knew the alcohol would make things cleaner. They didn't have germ theory. They weren't exactly sure what was causing sickness, but they did know that wine was cleansing. And they did know that if you applied honey to a wound, it would heal better. And we now know that's because honey has antibacterial properties. 
that's that is so interesting that that and so there were actually medical practitioners that yeah. would would work on these things to try and get everybody healthy and and uh and to heal them yeah yeah and it wasn't magic <laughs> it was based on trial and error right it was based on experimentation and they had a huge knowledge of what plants could do for people for example uh, much of which we have lost and are trying to regain now I, I was going to ask you about that because they they um the they were much better at her herbs and 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 natural ways of healing than we are today why do you think we've lost it is it because of the of the chemicals and the and the drug companies and all that as some people would say i think there's probably a combination of reasons one is that most of us are not living close to the land right so we don't observe the things that they observed sometimes you could observe things like if a certain animal on your farm ate this certain thing they would get sick or they would get better or this thing would happen. And we don't live close enough to the land to recognize that. We also have this stereotype that anything that happened before, you know, the quote unquote enlightenment was bad, wasn't any good. And so it's taken us a while to unlearn this idea and to get past kind of this snobbery about history so that we can start to look at things more objectively. So I think that when it comes to things like plant use, it's the fact that we think we have, we think that we're smarter in a lot of ways because we have better equipment, because we have, you know, the internet, or we have, I don't know, perhaps a bit more knowledge about the actual chemistry, the molecules involved, that perhaps we don't think that we need to go and look at a plant. When really most of our medicines are plant-based when you get all the way back down to it, right? Things like aspirin are based on acetic, well, uh, a knockoff of aspirin is acetylsalicylic acid, which is the same thing that you find in willow bark. So, I mean, plants, they are always helping us. <laughs> and we just need to kind of get past the idea that we are too smart to look at them. So if you had in the in the 10th century, if you had too much wine, you could go have some uh, willow bark and that would cure your hangover. <laughs> well, they told you to have some rest if you had a hangover. They didn't necessarily say, you know, go go brew up some willow bark, but some rest, sleep it off. That is the advice that they had for you. Hair of the dog, too, I think will help you. <laughs> and did people drink a lot more back then or is that another myth? Yeah, so they did. They did drink a lot back in the day, but it wasn't necessarily because the water was bad. I mean people could recognize that if there is an animal in this water, it's probably not good to drink from experience, right? <laughs> you can see this person drank this water. They got sick. I'm not going to drink this water. So people were drinking water. I do want to make that clear. People were using wells, for example, to drink water, but they were also drinking alcohol. And why not? I mean, it's tasty. And beer back in the day was a lot more nutritious, closer to something that you might find in Guinness, right? Guinness has a lot of nutrients in it. Same with medieval beer. And then people drank a lot of wine because it was something that you could grow in most areas of Europe, even into England during a warmer period, which is just before the 1300s. So it was widely available and sophisticated. And it made you feel good and you didn't mind, uh, you know, sleeping on the floor. Um, right. Which, which yeah. is what most people slept on mats. Would that be right? Most people, I would say, we. it's hard. It's hard to say for sure. A lot of people have beds. 
but if you're visiting somebody, you'd be sleeping on the floor. But I mean, when I visit people, I tend to be sleeping on the floor too, right? <laughs> on a mattress. So, yeah. It's it's remarkable the things that you have learned about about the medieval times and uh, and again uh, her podcast the medieval Co- podcast go look at it it's very very interesting you've got uh, really learned people from all walks of life the, the one I was listening to earlier you were talking about the uh, Seafdom program um, that that was in in wide use back then because if you were not the lord of the castle but you lived on the castle land you were then owned by the lord or how did that work exactly so you're talking about serfdom and it depends really so serfdom has uh different rules depending on where you are in europe and what time you're talking about but there was an agreement a feudal agreement between people where you if you lived on the land then you would uh, owe service to the Lord, right? So everybody owed service to somebody. So a knight owed it to the king in exchange for his land. A serf owned it to a Lord in exchange for his land. So it wasn't super great in that the Lord was the one who was in charge of justice over you. And sometimes this meant that you had to pay a fine if you wanted to get married or if you wanted to leave the man, you can just leave it. You were supposed to pay in order to leave it or ask permission, things like that. But serfdom in the episode you're talking about declined in England well before the end of the Middle Ages so that over time you couldn't create new serfs. <laughs> so you had tenants on the land as well. So not everybody that lived on the land was an unfree serf. Some people were freeborn. And so there's two things that are important to think about when we think about English serfdom especially. One is that when people talk about Magna Carta, and I know I'm a Canadian, but I know a lot of Americans are super into Magna Carta. Magna Carta doesn't enshrine the rights of everybody. It enshrines the rights of free people, so not unfree serfs. So they are excluded from that. And it's mostly talking about the rights of barons. So you really have to look at Magna Carta closely and look at who's missing from there. And serfs are missing, for the most part, from Magna Carta. And then the other thing is you were talking about Prima Nocta, which is something that shows up in great part. That up, yep. Right. And that is the idea that the Lord has this right to sleep with whoever he wants. The in Braveheart, it is like the bride on her wedding night. He can take her virginity, basically. There is no evidence that this was ever a thing, ever. <laughs> Just not a thing. So I don't know where they came up with it for Braveheart, but it's really it was something that is widely believed now, but it wasn't a thing. Well, Mel Gibson said it, so goodness. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Eric said that Braveheart is... <laughs> Braveheart is wildly inaccurate. I think that is totally on <laughs> wildly inaccurate is correct. <laughs> yeah, up to and including the fact that I am from the reading that I've done, and I know you probably have looked at this, um, William Wallace was a large man, uh, unlike, unlike um, Mel Gibson, who was not a large man. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's why uh, William Wallace was so respected in battle, because he stood out. Because he was a big guy. Am, am, I, am I wrong in that? We think he was a big guy in that a sword that has been called the Wallace Sword, which is still in the Wallace Monument, which you can visit in Scotland. Uh, it's very big. So it's, if it's his sword, then he would have to be a pretty big guy to wield it. But he was respected because he was landowning 
he wasn't just some surf. <laughs> he was a landowning guy, educated and understood battle. So I actually have done a podcast on this as well, the Scottish Wars of Independence, which people can listen to where we talk about William Wallace. So it wasn't just because he was a big guy. If that's his sword, he was a big guy, but it's because he knew things. And he was also not just some guy who they found on the side of the road. He was somebody who was a landowning person who understood how things worked. Who was more important to, I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to stump you. I promise. Who okay. was more important to Scottish history? The Bruce? Or William Wallace? The Bruce. The Bruce. <laughs> Dang, that was easy. <laughs> well, tell, tell us why. Well, William Wallace was somebody who led armies, but he didn't even do this by himself. He did it with a Highlander called Andrew Murray, which you'll hear in, if you listen to that episode. So he was basically kind of a general in the campaigns, but not even by himself. So he was working with other people, um, but Bruce was a king. <laughs> and he had a dynasty. So I think that that counts more than somebody who had a spectacular death, who was a martyr to his cause. But I think that if we're talking about having an impact on history, you kind of have to go with kings and dynasties when we're talking about long-term long -term effect. You know, when Eric was talking about the fallacies of some a lot of the things in Braveheart, yeah. one of which is... Um, the Battle of Sterling Bridge. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you're going to say is that there is no bridge. <laughs> I, was, I, I was looking for the bridge. I couldn't find the bridge anywhere. And, and it was on either side of the lines or anything. <laughs> but, but the Battle of Sterling Bridge was fought over a bridge. And that's how the Scottish were able to prevail was because there was, they couldn't, the British could only put so many people on the bridge at any given time. Is, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they actually used the an actual bridge or if they were just fording the river at that point. That okay. is something Good that you, I would want to ask Ian McInnes, who is talking on my podcast. But basically, yeah, the Scottish lured the English across the river. And then when they were split, when some of the people were across and some of them weren't, they used their guerrilla tactics to come down on them. So it was a, it was a strategy and it worked. Yes. Yes, indeed. But it was way different than the movie. Well, I mean, oh. <laughs> well, so you're talking about that being something that jumps out at you. Something that jumps out at me is the queen in it is one of my favorite Queens, Isabella. Um, and she was 11 at that time. So, <laughs> so he was definitely oh. not pregnant with the future King Edward the third by William Wallace they would never have met when she was 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Isn't, isn't it interesting being a student of history? How many things did you make an assumption about that when you did the research, you found out that that assumption was completely um, not true? I mean, that is why I started writing for the internet because I think that the truth is more interesting. That, I mean, I've done, I did a podcast not too long ago. Uh, I was a guest on someone else's and he sort of accused me of making this more boring, but I think this is more interesting than actual truth. But the the first place I started writing about the Middle Ages was on a blog that I created called The Five Minute Medievalist. And I started with the flat earth. So everybody will tell you that people in the Middle Ages thought the earth was flat and nobody thought the earth was flat. They knew it was round. There is like, I found one line in Washington Irving talking about Columbus 
saying that people thought the earth is flat, but people didn't. I mean, I did a TED talk where I can show show you pictures. I point to pictures. Look, here is the spherical earth. <laughs> here it is. But there are still some people that don't believe me because they are so convinced. And so when you and Eric were talking about the things that you learned in school, I mean, it's hard to work against these things, but we really kind of have to push back against it with the research that we have done. There's huge amounts of research to, that is coming out all the time. As you mentioned on my podcast, I have experts every week. I'm almost at 200 episodes, like 200 experts talking about the Middle Ages. Together, we need to push back against this. I think that we are making progress. I think there are fewer people that think medieval people thought the earth was flat. If you see that come up on Twitter, you have a lot of pushback, which I'm happy to see. But I mean, as things that you're mentioning right now are things that are common common to a lot of people's beliefs about the Middle Ages. And I don't think there's any shame in that, but let's Ooh. let's fix it. I wasn't there. At least it, <laughs> so I Me don't neither. Know. So <laughs> it's important for us to find out. By the way, um people in the Middle Ages might not have thought the earth was flat, but there are people today who think the earth is flat. It's I like know, right? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, we have yeah. so much so much more proof than they had back then and and uh then we still don't get it so i know um, yeah i would like you to go through tell us about your books tell us about your information and so the, you people can go and to track you down and to find out all about you Right. Well, as you mentioned, everything is on my website, daniellesabalski.com. And I only have one L in Danielle. But if you just Google me, you'll find my stuff. And if that is too difficult to spell, and I get it, it is difficult to spell. If you just look up the Medieval Podcast or the 5-Minute Medievalist, you'll find my stuff. So I started writing for Medievalist.net. They have the bulk of my written articles, which is like several hundred articles, as you mentioned. So Medievalist.net. You can go under the tag 5MIN Medievalist and find the things that I've written. Um, you can also listen to my podcast. We are at almost 200 episodes now. And then I've written several books, one being The 5-Minute Medievalist, which is a collection of my articles, plus a couple new ones. One, The 5-Minute Medievalist Guide to Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse. <laughs> then uh, Life in Medieval Europe, Fact and Fiction. And then the latest one is How to Live Like a Monk, Medieval Wisdom for Modern Life. And that one brings together our modern research on wellness and how it applied back in the day to monastic life. Will you come back so that we can talk about the uh, the, the apocalypse and also <laughs> uh, the, the, the leading your life like a monk? I would be delighted. I would be delighted. These are two different things. <laughs> they really are. They, they actually will be two different podcasts. Um, <laughs> I would love. I would love to talk to you about that. You you are just delightful. And and go go look at her podcast, the Medieval Podcast. It and you you've done a great job with it. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about this stuff with you. Good things happen to good people. And you're one of those good people that good things are happening for. Thank you. So I really appreciate you being here. Uh, it's been great fun. If you go to positivetalkradio.net, you can uh, listen to this show. You can go to YouTube and oh, just me like her, just put in Positive Talk Radio and we show up. Uh, isn't that kind of cool? I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. This is why I don't want to live in the Middle Ages, because this is amazing. <laughs> Someday I hope to grow up and be just like you.
So thank you, Danielle, for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. And we'll we'll have you back because there's so much. You are so bright and you've got so much information. There's so much more to talk about. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, everybody, you know, take care of each other because uh, each other's all we've got. We'll see you on Monday. No, we'll see you on Friday, actually. <laughs>